My name is Thalia Gochez, and this is how I create. Welcome to This Is How We Create, a show that digs deeper into the creative life of contemporary artists of color. Discover what feeds their creativity and how they've found or are finding their artistic voice. Through these intimate and candid conversations, you'll gain insights into the lives of creative professionals of color that are hard to find anywhere else. Today on the podcast, we're chatting with photographer Thalia Gochez. When I first came across Thalia's work, I just gasped. Who was this amazing photographer who possessed so much talent? Thalia creates portraits of women in her neighborhood in a tender and yet commanding way. She arrests your attention to convey her love and respect of her subjects. Today, we're chatting with Thalia Gochez, who is a photographer and fashion stylist based in San Francisco. Thalia, welcome. Hi. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get into it. I started a few years ago through the need of just wanting to see more representation and visibility for women of color, people of color. And it sort of manifested into this beautiful, this beautiful thing that I hold so dear to me today. Really excited to get into it. (laughs) Awesome. So, I mean, in terms of your background, if I understand correctly, you, um, your dad is from El Salvador? Yes, that's correct. And then your mother is Mexican. So you grew up in LA, not in San Francisco, where you currently reside. Yeah, I'm actually from Pasadena, which is a little about 15 minutes outside of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I moved to San Francisco when I was 18. During that time, I was sort of I was grieving, I was going through a lot, and I, you know, didn't really excel in academia, but I knew that I needed to expand myself, and I've always been a very independent person, so I literally packed my bags. I think I packed, like, one suitcase, and I moved to San Francisco to just experience a different life. I went to the city college there. Yeah, I've been here for the past, oh my gosh, almost eight years, but I'm actually transitioning back to Los Angeles um, in the next couple months. Oh, wow. Well, that's yes. exciting. So tell us about growing up being half El Salvadorian and half Mexican in LA. What was that like? Yeah, that that's a great question. It was really beautiful. I um, definitely saw a lot of the, my culture was always very accessible to me. You know, growing up in LA, I, I saw a lot of folks that were from from Mexico. I, I think it's so it's it's it sort of gets complicated because um, so much of my upbringing was in my um, in my home. In my actually, we would have tons of family parties. My mom's side and my dad's side um, would all come together, and we would have sort of like a, a party every weekend. And culture, family, food, all these elements were so prevalent in my upbringing in LA. Um, it was sort of like a beautiful time. My grandma, she lived in Highland Park, which, which is Northeast LA. That area right now is actually going through such rapid changes due to gentrification. But at that time, it was really beautiful seeing just like a collective of brown folks just migrating from their perspective country and sort of coming together through food and celebration. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. 
I, I can just imagine. <laughs> um, yes. We we live in this little area in Chicago that's mainly um, made up of immigrants from Central America, and I tell you, it's like a, it's heaven over here. Um, yes, just in terms of like the music, there's always someone playing cumbia. <laughs> yes. somewhere especially in the it. summer. There's I mean, the food. There are so many people selling paletas too. So there's yes. just like just a wonderful energy that's here. Funny. It's so funny you mentioned actually. So I, I think in LA, it's very, it's more predominantly Mexican, but my dad actually, when he first migrated to the United States, he moved to Chicago and he lived in Chicago for many years with my aunt uh, when he was like 14. And I totally, I guess he said there was a huge central, which you had just mentioned, a huge, because he, you know, he's from El Salvador, a huge Central American demographic. And I think that's like super cool. I, I always say like the Latinx diaspora is like so fascinating to me how it, it's sort of just, it's so deep and vast, you know? And I think like, because it's so deep and vast, when you leave uh, and when you see people who are from a, a region, I think normally in certain neighborhoods, people would congregate by like by country, but when you have a mix of people, sometimes they just, it's the food that brings them together and it's the music that brings them together. And so that's the common ground um, yes. that you end up finding. You mentioned in some of the, the articles that were written on you, there was a certain point where you left this heart of, of Pasadena, where you lived, where you felt very, very secure, and you went to school in another neighborhood. And that's when you started feeling more like an other. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So my dad was a very hard work. He passed away um, back in 2008, but he was a very hardworking man. And we lived in La Cañada, which is right next to... Pasadena and it's a predominantly white neighborhood upper class and we, we were we were coming from it was a complete culture ch shock it I, I don't even think I'm still processing how oh, I want to say like it, you know obviously there was a, a lot of privilege there uh, that I want to acknowledge but it was quite damaging in a lot of ways in that experience of uh, feeling like the other was extremely hard because I felt like I lost my sense of community like folks that I was around uh, I went but prior to that, I went to a school which was predominantly brown folks coming into this white space where I'm the only brown girl and all the other brown kids, and I can name them with the palm of my hand or black kids as well, were using the address. There were like the maids kids and using the address of like the family. Like it, it just never, it, it was rare. Like it never felt like there was a space for us. And at one point I feel like I've, I've was like teased a little bit as I was, I think I, I went in when I was like in sixth grade, there was like a little bit of bullying, but not as much as my older siblings experienced. They are a little darker complexion than me. I, I just, I say that because I feel like that has immense privilege as well. And being a lighter skin Latina, anywho, their experience was a little different and they actually couldn't tolerate it. And they actually left like the second semester and wow. went to a different, yeah, went to, they were, they were bullied, like they, apples were thrown at them, like they, oh my goodness, yeah, they experienced um, something quite different, and I think luckily, since I was a little younger, and maybe a lighter complexion, and like a little bit of a social butterfly, I assimilated to that culture a little better, I always felt like a hole in my heart, and I felt like 
my culture and what I identified with growing up was sort of lost and it wasn't accepted past my living room. Once I left that area, that time in my life, I sort of started trying to reclaim and unlearn a lot of damaging beliefs. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me how you've been using your work to kind of either understand or to come to terms with your love, or I guess as a way of reloving your culture and reloving yourself? And I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, obviously. Of course. Can you walk us through how celebrating your culture and putting and how your work tends to put a spotlight on community and an identity how did that come about for you was it right yeah like where did it click (laughs) yeah where did it tell us about that tell us the story of that so at that point when I was experiencing while I was in that white space my father actually passed away and I was I think I was about 15 so that was incredibly that was incredibly damaging as well and when I left high school at 16 17 I was still grieving immensely. And I didn't know what that really meant for me. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't even know the concept of death. It, it's, it sort of shocks your system as a youth, but I knew that I needed to get away from this area to heal in another way. So I moved to San Francisco. I started taking classes at the city college. And um, like I mentioned before, academia wasn't something that I really excelled in. I was never given the opportunity to excel. I knew that I loved fashion. I knew that I loved art. Those um, opportunities to explore my creative side weren't really presented to me growing up, but they were in City College. So I took some fashion merchandising classes. There was no visibility. I felt like there was no space for what I wanted to see. And during that time, there was also Trump was, you know, running for president and I think through my educational career, he, that he was elected and that sort of ignited a love and rage within me. I knew that what I wanted to create something and I knew that I wanted to create something for girls that looked like me and for girls that looked like my cousins um, and guys that looked like my cousins. And that's really what's kind of clicked for me. Um, I think to get like really detailed into it, I took a styling class and I was a stylist and I actually hired or I collaborated with a photographer who took very, took beautiful photos, but I felt in that space (laughs) that I just wanted to take the camera away and start shooting. Like I was like, very like, Oh, like an urge, you know, Mm. to want to sort of take control of the set. (laughs) And that's when I realized, okay, maybe I should pick up the camera. So I, I ended up, using my roommate's film camera and I created my first shoe. The, the first girl that I modeled was one of my best friends. And we, I shot her in her apartment in Oakland. And when the photos came out, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe that I took those photos. I was blown away. Like I was, it was addicting at that point. At that, I, I, <laughs> I couldn't let the camera, you know, I, at that point, I think I shot like almost every day for a year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I shot so much. <laughs> okay, so there, I have so many questions based on what you just shared with us. So you were saying that when you were in your fashion classes, you weren't seeing what you wanted to see. Can you tell me a little bit more about what, what you mean by that? There, the conventional, 
conventional way of beauty in that in the fashion industry is pale skin, white, very skinny, over 5'10", girls that I have never felt like I could connect with or that I could see myself with. Like, I never saw girls that were maybe 5'2", maybe, you know, a size 8, maybe had thicker, thick eyebrows and I mean, just they, they looked like girls that I grew up with. It's hard to really explain, but I felt like I kept having visions of girls that looked like me and cool ass outfits. Oh. <laughs> like, and I just, it would just like, I, I would, I honestly, sometimes like in that time, I couldn't even sleep because I just had so many ideas of like visions almost and of girls in just empowered in feeling empowered, feeling beautiful through a fashion lens. Yes. It's so interesting what you said about girls who you grew up with, because I think there was this one article I read about you and you said that you grew up in LA and you grew up in love or you grew up full of love in a household that was full of love. And I think there's something to be said about growing up and loving everything about you and loving the people who are around you. And wanting to see that replicated more and more and more. Because when you are, because popular media in so many ways has prescribed what the standard of beauty is, when it's just so much more than that, or at least it, it can be, right? And it is, um, but we're, we're spoon fed one type. <laughs> I just, as, as, and also as you were talking, I could see you coming up with like this line of clothes for curvy five foot two girls. Um, yes. The big earrings. <laughs> yes, stay tuned, stay tuned. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing. Perfect. I love it. Okay, so then you picked up the camera and for a year, basically, you were shooting every day. So how, what were you shooting exactly? I mean, I think I probably exaggerated. It wasn't every day, but it was, it was a lot. And at that point, I was going to school and I had two jobs because um, I'm sure, as anybody knows, the Bay Area is completely unlivable, especially for folks that have been living here their whole life. There's a surplus of wealth, but it's only distribute to... <laughs> one type of person, but to, to not get too much into that. So at that time I was working a lot, but what really gave me so much peace and so much happiness, um, because I was struggling with so much anxiety and what helped me stay present and be mindful is photography. What, when I was in the zone shooting, it started up shooting my friends and shooting girls in their, in their perspective homes and in their environments, like that really birthed my message was creating a fat it's not just for me it's not just a fashion visual it's encapsulating this moment of girls in their neighborhood in their homes in areas that mirror their identity and cr creating a safe space and throughout the years it's the concept of a safe space has really evolved for me but it's always been about representing folks in their environment and through empowerment and safety and that's also with this element and this this there is still a strong aesthetic because I come from a fashion background so that's always going to be prevalent you know but I also want the the folks to feel like themselves and feel like they 
are happy from where they're from, you know? Mm-hmm. So then folks who are, they, that their culture is celebrated. And then when you talk about safety, do you mean just from that your gaze isn't necessarily to remove from how they grew up? Or do you mean safety in terms of like the political turmoil that we find ourselves in this country? Or maybe it's both? Some folks can say that safety is an illusion because you're never truly safe like in as a, a brown and black person. But for me, safety has always been safe within your body, within, mm-hmm. within your mind. And I can claim to create a safe space, but it's never guaranteed. I don't know if a person on the street can run up and, you know, while I'm shooting and you, you, you can't, you can't fully guarantee a safe space. But what I can do is provide something where their feelings and their needs are heard and respected. And to me, that's like creating a safe enough space where there's clear communication and there's consensuality and there's clear boundaries of what the day is going to look like and constantly checking in. Um, I think that there, that is what separates me from a lot of other creatives. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but it's, I'm constant in, in communication from the day that I decide that I want to shoot someone to beyond. I always say to beyond because the work is never really done, you know? So let's say I shot a girl when I first started in 2007 and what is beyond me? So today, let's say she reaches out to me and, you know, trying to catch up or I want to use that photo in a, in an art show. Like we're still going to have that dialogue and, and bridge that paragraph of like, I own these photos and I'm going to show it everywhere. And I'm not going to ask you for your consent. I'm not going to, talk about maybe giving you some finance compensation for the photos if they get sold like that's still it's still a collaboration even towards the end and Mm -hmm. that's what I try to really have these tough not tough I mean I guess just have these conversations with my subjects because I want them to feel safe in their imagery too like so much of my art is involves other folks you know and I have to keep that in mind Um, Does that make sense? (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. So then it sounds like you collaborate with them prior to the shoot and you sketch out what the day is going to look like and you spend about a day with them? Every shoot is different. So I could shoot someone that is my friend and that I think that there's like, I really want to highlight the story, you know, whatever that story is, whether it's tackling mental illness. The last shoot that I did was talking about multiple mixed cultural identities it always starts with me reaching out and then if there's time to meet up in person but having a lot of conversations about what we want a collaboration to look like and not just with clothes but with the actual story like what like you know what they want to share and what they want me to highlight that makes a lot of sense because i mean you're talking about visibility you're talking about empowerment you've thought about, you've talked about culture. And I think all of those sound like they're the hallmark or the, the mission of your, of your work. And I don't know if you've actually identified like the words that really make up your work or what, what really drives you. But I, it seems to be that it is about empowerment. It is about safety. It is about visibility. And it is about culture and representation. Right. It's just so funny because I was just being myself. I was always taught integrity, you know? So I think 
the way that my process and how I create is very much just who I am. It's not something I'm trying to be. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I, you know, these words are very popularized right now, like community and, and whatever the word is, like it's, I didn't know that my work was that until I started getting interviewed and folks would tell me or just folks would tell me in general, like the angles that you shoot are so empowering. Like I didn't even realize that that was an empowerment angle. Like I was just creating from my heart. You were just doing your thing. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I I think it's wonderful when we and what we stand for actually comes through our work. Yes, definitely. A lot has happened since you picked up that first camera. Um, And and for some of what I read, it was your dad's camera, right? And your dad was an amateur photographer. Yes, he, um, so I, I still have his camera. It, he has like a f- old film. Uh, it's a Pentax. And that's when I started shooting, I didn't shoot people. I would mainly shoot like, you know, really cool, already beautiful things that are already in place, like a bus stop or a bird or something like that. I, yeah, I started shooting his camera and I kind of put it down for many years and did other creative things like reworked vintage clothes. I would sell jewelry on like Etsy. (laughs) Once I really started to go into like fashion merchandising school, um, that's when I asked my friend who had, she had like a automatic camera. It was like really easy for me to use because I've never taken a film class in my life, you know? So I I really encourage beginner photographers that want to do film to just try out an automatic camera. Like it's already it's already, it's just, I think there's such a, like, it's, it's, I I don't know. I feel like the photography work would be quite pretentious and they were like, Oh, you're using an automatic camera, but it's like, it doesn't, the tool doesn't matter. It's your vision and what Mm -hmm. you see. And I just love saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. You recently had a, an exhibit of your work. It's from what I read, it's soul marts. And this was in 2018, right? Yes, yes. Um, And you've done collaborations with some major brands. Were you expecting currently that you would be doing this type of work? Or were you expecting that you taking um, these portraits of these, these women who are in your neighborhood and photographing them in spaces in which they would feel comfortable, did you expect that that would lead to these collaborations? No, never. I just was creating from my heart because I love to create. I was creating from my truth in my heart. And I feel like to to answer your question, no, there was no way in hell that I could ever picture any brand and the brands that have contacted me to ever contact me. Like I, I never would have thought that. And and I think it was like in my wildest dreams, you know, I had maybe a thought like that, but never to that extent, you know. How do you balance your why and your, I guess, your why and your truth with the commissions that do come in? You know, I don't say yes to everything. There's, I've turned down and I, if I tell you the stuff that I turned down, I feel like people will be like, what? That's such an amazing opportunity, but it didn't align with my message. And that's regardless of uh, a check, like I have to sleep with myself at night. I'm in this body. So if I can't stand behind the message, then 
I don't, it, I don't want to do it. Like I don't. So right now it's very, as I get older, my message becomes clearer and clearer. Um, the more I do internal work of what I want my art to say a lot of, and it's so funny because a lot of my creative work right now has leaped into like doing some personal healing work. And I notice that the more personal healing work that I do, the better artists I become. Now that my, my message is always like respecting my own needs, you know? So if a brand comes to me and they give me a creative deck and that's great, but then I have to tell them, well, this is my process and this is what I need. I need the models to be compensated this amount. I need to be compensated this amount. I need to have control over the locations. Like I can't exploit these locations. Like it needs to be consensual and it needs to make sense with the project. If I'm not the stylist, I'd like this recommendation. I want to have like a predominantly brown set, like stuff like this, I think are like my, I'm noticing are my needs. And once I start respecting my needs, I feel like, and they respect my needs. Like it, it just seems like more of an aligned collaboration. If they kind of aren't really seeing what I need for my process, then it's, it's an easy no. And I know that I have such deep faith and trust in the universe and God that more aligned work will come right away. And it always does. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel, I feel like I need to channel. I'm going to play that back. Everybody play it back when you're feeling <laughs> in doubt of your worth and what you want and, um, and how, you can leverage your special sauce to, to in service of your clients. Because I think sometimes um, there are some of us as creatives who are just, are afraid to ask for exactly what we need in order to make a shoot a success. Um, no, that's a great question. I think that I've come into this place of strength and inner knowing from deep healing work. Like that's really the only way that I can encapsulate it in one sentence is the more I've healed parts within myself, the more I realize that I'm worthy of having needs. I think, especially as women of color in places that I've grown up, like it feels like having certain needs, even in relationships is a nuisance or it's too much or whatever demon you're in, in internalizing. I'm at this point where I feel like if I'm creating this beautiful work that everyone loves and respects, it, it, it takes a certain formula. It takes just like cooking a, um, a delicious pie. There's ingredients that need to come in place for me to create this moment that everyone loves and there's steps to it. And I have done work to realize what steps it takes to make this delicious pie. And if one step or ingredient is not there, then the pie doesn't taste good and I'm not happy with it and they're not happy with it. So it's respecting the ingredients to create this pie is really the best way that I can describe it. <laughs> that's powerful. I mean, it's, it's a very, very good way of explaining. That's a great metaphor. I think that's really powerful. I know that I've taken work at times. I've been guilty of taking work at times that I know wasn't fully aligned with my why and my place of power but I've done it anyway <laughs> and I've never been of course happy. me too but I think it's it's usually the work that I've been the least happiest with 
Yeah, and it's it's an interesting way of balancing it. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you go um, in terms of either identifying new clients or finding new clients, as well as any marketing tips or or tools that you have or that you use? Right, marketing tips. I think that's something that I I feel like. I'm probably not going to give you the answer that you want, but I'll tell you what's worked for me. Um, oh, that's even better. I don't think that we want a, an answer that's like, you know, no platitudes, please. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, I've, I've never taken a marketing class. I don't, I don't look in that. I don't look for that. I think what, for me, it's always been about like how to, further make my message clear and like my personal style clear. And a lot of that, like a lot of that is like budgeting accordingly. So if you are like a full-time freelancer budgeting, so you have enough money throughout the months to eat and sustain your lifestyle. But also when you're in between jobs and you know, you're not getting the jobs you want, how to stay quote unquote relevant is I go back to the drawing board and I start creating more personal work. And right now I feel like I've kind of having a little bit of, um, like my creative work is more towards like me healing some inner stuff, but I'm excited. I have, I feel like I'm strong enough to have, um, I have an amazing shoot plan next week, but that aside, as far as to get back on track to the, the marketing point, like every time that I've like created something from my heart, that's, that's like, I go back to these like personal shoots it's almost like that's my, like, it's like, I don't need this like marketing plan. I just like post my work and they're like, people connect with it. And it's, it's amazing. And, and I don't know how to describe it. It's not like, I don't have a set schedule of when I post something. It's very intuitive. It's very like, oh my gosh, I, I did this shoot 10 in the morning. Let's post it now. Like there's, I don't know if it's luck. I don't know if it's just what works for me, but I, I feel like I'm not too, I'm not giving you the answer you probably want right now. I no, like actually, I just, you're giving the I don't right get answer. Caught, I don't get caught up in that. Yes. <laughs> I don't I, get caught up in that. And I, oh <laughs> no, I think it goes back oh, to sorry. living in your, it goes back to living in your truth. Even something as like, that could potentially be as daunting as marketing. If you do it in a way that goes back to your your why, everything else takes care of itself. It's almost intuitive, you know? It's clear, like, what do you want out of your work? Like, that's the most important question is like, what do you want? Like, do you want, you know, consistent work every week? And, and what's the amount that you want every week? I think once you get clear on what you want out of your creative work and write it down, I, I deeply believe in manifesting. Like, I, I deeply believe these things will come to you, you know, the aligned action that you need to take to get to this point will come to you. The more that you let go of this, like, worry of when the next gig going to come, or do I need to market myself properly, or all these other external things that don't really matter. All that matters is like, what do you want from your creative work and mm. get clear within yourself. And so then is that where your, your healing work comes in? Because you were saying that you take some time to focus and being clear. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that healing that you do? Well, I feel like my body has different ways of 
letting me know that some healing warnings to go down. Like, let's say I'm getting a little more anxiety than I used to. Um, a little more, the trauma response starts, you know, getting a little, and this is, I'm not, I just want to say like, I'm not a healthcare professional. I don't claim to know all the answers to healing. I just know what works for me and in my body. And when I get storms, like when I just get really anxious or really, you know, in this like depressive state, I know that that's my body's way of telling me that like, there's something that I need to attend to and there's some healing that I need to attend to. And what helps me is creating this toolbox. So I meditate. I do a lot of altar work. I go to therapy every week. These sort of things help me get clear within my needs and help me, like I said before, help me be a better artist. Like I can't ignore these things. You know what I mean? <laughs> Does that I, answer your question? <laughs> I mean, that answer that, that like blows my mind. It's, it's amazing because I think that even little things about what to post on Instagram. I know that there are a lot of people who have like that the grid has to be a certain way. For me, it has to be intuitive. I asked myself, I was like, what is the, what do I need? How am I feeling? And what of my work? And, and what do I want to communicate? And sometimes too, that has to come into the work because I think that, you know, in essence, we're artists and the work that's going to be able to resonate with other people is work that actually will make them feel something. And in one way or another, right. we have to be in the right state in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits, in order for our intention as artists to be able to um, be imparted into our work. You, you have to feel it for, first before anybody else feels it. That's like the big thing. You have to feel what you're trying to say before anybody else can feel and relate to it. If you if you want fame, if you want, you know, a lot of followers, if you want money, that's okay. Like, that's fine. You know, like, I'm talking to anybody like, but I think that there's something deeper in all of that. And it's like to feel like you want to feel loved and accepted. And that to me is like only really that starts within yourself, within who you are within yourself and how you respond to like your body wanting needs and how you carry on throughout your day like you know you're in your body for you and I think a lot of what I feel like I'm manifesting it doesn't work if I don't feel like I deserve it you know mm -hmm. and I don't if I don't love myself so mm -hmm. like so much of what I want and like if I want these big jobs like it's like I have to know that I deserve it and I I have these needs and they are going to be respected. Like, but I have to really believe that. And I think that's like maybe sometimes what people get kind of roadblocks where they want these things, but do you really feel like you deserve it? Like, I don't know. It's these find your questions and let's see if you can answer them. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> so in terms of, uh, of how you got to this state, was it, were you journaling or was it just through meditation that you've been able to get more and more clearer? in terms of how you need to be in, in your body and in your, in yourself. Yeah, I feel like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm just starting meditation. I'm not this like meditation guru. I am still learning it. I struggle with it. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing it wrong, but I'm sticking to a routine, which has been really helpful. I don't claim to be this like spiritually enlightened person. I just know what I need to do to make myself like, feel good within my body every day. Like that's, that's really what it is. Like I, 
feel like what's really helped me more than anything is being in my community and actually building with women that I'm photographing with and sharing different parts of our lives together. Like that's been the huge thing is my community being there for me. I encourage all creatives to create within their community and to get out of this zone that you need to figure it out all on your own. I really feel like there's an endless amount of tools you can put in your toolbox. One of them for me is meditation. One of another ones like maybe having a therapist. Another one's, you know, building a community and not uh, feeling isolated. There's so many things, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so do you, for, for <laughs> meditating, <laughs> for me, I do it in bed. <laughs> Um, and sometimes I use, I yes. use an app, I use Headspace at times, but, um, I just do it in bed. I'm like, I lay, I wake up, I close my eyes, I say, thank you. And, you know, and I go from the tips yes. of my head all the way down to my toes. And I just feel, I turn on my senses one, one by one. How do you do it? So right now I'm actually going to guided meditation class a couple times a week. But then other than that, I also just go on the ground and I kind of make it really comfy for myself. I put pillows around my body. I definitely, like similar to you, I send gratitude and I sort of just practice on my breathing. It's, it gets easier every day. I think the beginning, it's been really hard because I, like, I think like most of us, we create, our, our brain's very noisy. We start creating narratives and we get attached to these narratives and then we're like, oh shit, I'm meditating. I'm supposed to be meditating. Okay, go back. And, and it's like this like <laughs> war within, within ourselves to like be this perfectly spiritual person. But I think that that's work in itself. Like once I continue to, um, I've been told that the more I continue just to sit and sit with myself, like the easier it'll be to like these narratives to sort of disappear, you know, mm -hmm. and really just tackling my breathing and getting back into this body. So we're about ready to wrap up are there any questions that i asked that i didn't ask you that you would want anything you want to say i guess yeah i mean i think the biggest thing that i would want everyone to say is maybe look for me for inspiration but look within yourself that's the biggest thing is stop trying to look for things outside of yourself and really look within yourself to figure out what you really want out of your creative experience. Also prioritize having joy. It doesn't need to be serious all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, that, was, that was amazing. What are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading All About Love by Bell Hooks. Oh, gosh, okay. You know, what did you imagine that your life would be like when you were older or when you were this age? I thought I was gonna be a soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never, I ever, <laughs> I never thought that I'd be a creative. I oh. ever, I was really intensely into soccer. I played club soccer and I was really good at it. <laughs> Do you still play? Kind of. <laughs> no, I really want to get back into it. That's it's, it's, it taught me so much. Oh, perfect. I think that's it for me. I don't have anything else. Can you tell us how to get in touch with you and check out your work? Um, com, and then okay. my instagram filiagoche at filiagoches and then yeah and it, and then there my email is on my instagram if you want to you know throw me a bone <laughs> oh 
Lafalia, <laughs> it was really amazing chatting with you. I've learned so much. I like have written quotes. <laughs> and I'm so pleased that, you know, no, I was you able, haven't. I I've been it. taking notes during our conversation. <laughs> like, I'm so pleased um, that we were able to chat. I'm yeah. such a big fan. And I can't wait to buy more of your work. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, oh, thank you so much for supporting me. Oh, thank you. So I will definitely stay in touch, Thalia. And I know that everyone is going to be checking out your work. So thank you so much for joining yeah. us and everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>